And did you know that this podcast is an independent production? That's right. The Eric Norcross podcast is an indie podcast. And because of that, we depend on listeners like you to help support the show. The best way to become a supporter is to become a patron. Patreon is a membership platform that allows creators to develop a more sustainable source of financial support for their projects. My Patreon supports this podcast. If you find this podcast worthwhile, please consider becoming a patron by heading over to the Patreon link in the description. That's patreon.com slash Eric Norcross. Again, patreon.com slash Eric Norcross, and the link will be in the description. Thank you, and on with the show. Can you hear me? Yeah, I got you. Great. Okay. So we're up and running. How you doing? Good. I, uh, I'm glad that we were able to connect. Yeah, finally. Sorry about yesterday. I just, you can see I live literally like in the middle of nowhere. Like nowhere. So, <laughs> but it's so gorgeous. Uh, yeah, it's really nice. It's um, in the States, it's kind of normal to live so isolated, but here it's pretty hard because we have so many people and so little land, you know? Um, but here we're, maybe five miles from the nearest shop and uh yeah it's it's awesome but unfortunately the wi-fi goes a lot so uh but it seems okay now it's, it's pretty strong well, I, I gotta tell you i live in new york city headquarters of the un and our internet counts out all oh, the really? time really? all the time you'd think we'd have a world-class infrastructure but it's far from it okay <laughs> so you're in new york wow great city amazing city yeah, yeah. Are you back to normal now? Huh? Are you back to normal now in New York? Uh, we're clawing our way there little by little. Um, we're still kind of like 30% of the population's vaccinated. Um, they oh, just okay. opened movie theaters for like a partial fill. Oh, wow. Cool. Wow. So That's the one thing I can't wait for to open is movie theaters. Yeah. Um, we've been in lockdown for a long time and we're just coming out on Monday. I just found out actually that um, one of my favorite theaters is going to have, they, they currently have a 4K restoration of Rear Window. Oh, wow. And nice. I've, I've, I've never seen it. Yeah. It's the only, one of those only ones I haven't seen. And my girlfriend keeps asking me to see it. So I thought, well, what better way to go back to the movies and see it? Hasn't the, uh, hasn't the pandemic made you sick of looking in people's windows? <laughs> it's like... <laughs> yeah, it's. I think we might be one of the windows people look into. Ah, oh, right. Because okay. <laughs> we don't have any curtains. But, I saw the um, other day there's a new Netflix movie with, uh, I can't remember who, I know Julianne Moore's in it. And it's a similar idea. It's. Uh, it looks like a similar idea. It's. Oh, I can't remember the actress's name. She's a redhead. She's, uh, she played a translator in an alien movie. Oh, um, was that, uh, she was in Enchanted? Uh, I can't remember, but she's in it. She's the main star in it, and I love her. So uh, it, it looks it looks a bit Netflix-y, but, you know. Yeah, it, 
They have a, they have a, I know exactly what you mean when you say Netflixy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, no, they don't have those deep blacks. They, they, they're very grayish. Yeah, I just watched that one with uh, Sarah Paulson. Have you seen it? No. Uh, okay, there's a new one with Sarah Paulson. It's like, it's. It, I, I described it to a friend as whatever happened to Baby Jane Misery. You know, it's like, <laughs> when you see it, you'll understand what I mean. So. I'll, check, I'll check it out. Um, okay. Yeah. I, uh, so uh, these are pretty informal. Obviously, we've kind of started it. And yeah. I'll, I'll edit out the housekeeping stuff. I occasionally just like mention things uh, that will be edited out, like this part right here. Uh, eventually, you're going to see this happen. That just means I'm resetting my external camera. Okay. And I have to kind of reach over like my computer to do it. And so rather than uh, risk, okay. risk recording me doing that, I'll just go to the screen for a minute. Okay. I'll, I'll probably talk. I'll probably have you just talk while I do that. Yep. Uh, because for some reason, these cameras only record up to 30 minutes at a time. So I have to reset it every 30 oh, minutes. Okay. No Something worries. to do with taxation law. Oh. And uh, importing photo cameras versus video cameras or something. Yeah, I'm not really technical. So. Yeah. But you have you have a wonderful YouTube channel and you, you're a very good editor and a, and a very good uh, narrator. Thank you. Um, it takes a while. It's, um, are, are you, do, do you want to discuss it now or I don't know how this is going to work? So. Uh, well, let me do an introduction. I, yeah, I, I think uh, that that's worthwhile. Uh, I have here James Payne, who is the creator of the YouTube channel Great Art Explained. Uh, I found you late at night when I was looking for content to just drift off and Usually when I'm doing that, it's art, it's art related content or it's celestial. <laughs> so I, I tend to be subscribed to a lot of science channels and a lot of art channels. And it's just because it calms me. It gets me into a headspace where I can just like chill out. And right. I loved this concept that you have. First off, your mission is to, as I'm going to read uh, some of your description from your channel. I am on a mission to demystify the art world and discover the stories behind the world's greatest paintings and sculptures. Each episode will focus on one piece of art and break it down using clear and concise language free of art speak. That mission is spot on part of the mission of this podcast. Excellent. Demystify art, but also to get rid of all of the jargon that kind of, I feel like jargon is used to filter people out. Mm -hmm. And I love that you tackled it straight away in your first paragraph. Um, so I guess we could start with that. Because uh, I've always been put off by, you know, I'm in New York. We got a huge gallery scene. I Pre-pandemic, I would gallery hop every Thursday night. That was the big sort of gallery opening night in New York. I don't know if that's like that over there. But I, I, I usually call it the Thursday night hustle. We just right. kind of go from one opening to the other, to the other, yeah. to the other. And the, the least fun ones were the ones where they were using some sort of lingo that I guess civilians would find inaccessible. Yeah. And I guess we talk about language first. Yeah, that's really interesting. So um, I, um, I studied as a fine artist to be an artist. So we did um, uh, 
in a in a very good school, but a very theory based school. So I studied all the big ones, you know, all the big um, uh, theorists and, and art writers, Derrida, all of those people. And um, then just to cut forward a little bit, I was a really bad artist, so I stopped pretty quickly, but I was really good at curating, really good. So I, I was very good at organizing people. And that's my skill really, I think. And so I opened a gallery and one of the first things I did, we showed very difficult work, incredibly difficult. That's my thing. I like difficult work. We also showed work which was easy enough. But my very first thing was grabbing that press release that people get when they go into a gallery. That's my very first thing. And I said, every artist, you're not touching this. You're not coming anywhere near this. This is me. Okay. And I pretty much decide that. If you can't say something in the first sentence, then you've got no reason to be writing that kind of thing, you know? And I've been to New York in, on Thursday night. I've been around those galleries and I can't understand the gobbledygook they come up with in those press releases that we read, you know, it's impossible. And it is, it's designed to keep you out. It's really, I really do believe that. Um, and I can read very difficult, complicated art theory because that's what I've been doing my whole life. But that doesn't mean I need to speak that way. And it certainly doesn't mean I need to um, confound other people. Um, if you want, I can tell you why I'm very clear about um, the way I present art. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah? So it's connected with America, actually, because um, one of my art, when I had an art gallery, um, I, when I was a bad artist, um, when I was a good curator, I've never really had enough to pay the bills with art, you know, because I, I chose quite difficult work. And so for 20, 25 years, I've been a guide in Europe with North American students. So I've been taking North American students around London, Paris, Rome, Florence, you know, on a guided tour. And so I take them into art galleries. And so when you're dealing with some 15 year old kid from Wisconsin, and you're trying to explain a very complicated process, you need to be clear about what you're saying. And to this day, when I'm making my videos for YouTube, I say to myself, would that kid understand what I'm saying? Because otherwise I don't understand what I'm saying sometimes, you know? So I have to go back and check the language. And language is a great way of really, like you say, keeping people out. It, it is, it's, um, it's designed that way. We know it's designed that way. It's how many times have you read something and you just can't grasp it, you know? I do it all the time. I was reading, I was reading about Copernicus. There you go. I was reading about Copernicus because I'm working on something at the moment. And the first website I read, no idea what they were talking about. I mean, for me, it could be that actually the, the I could still think that everything revolves around us after looking at this website, you know? But then the next one just explained it really clearly and really simply. And you can explain something as complex as Copernicus in five minutes. You know, you can do that. You can explain a bit about art in 15 minutes. The basics, that's all I'm trying to explain. Yeah, you know what got me, you got me thinking about um, this idea of art in education and even like remedial education uh, some years back, I did a profile of an artist working in Brooklyn who basically said they cut him off after the third grade and he never got an art class since. And 
because um, of course art in those grades isn't even about art interpretation it's just about getting your hands wet with watercolors or whatnot but i'm thinking now that there should be classes all through middle school high school that kind of do what you're doing where you kind of teach people how to look at art how to interpret what what they're seeing uh one excellent example of this i mean there's there's a few we're going to talk about them but the first one that comes to mind as i'm as i'm talking about this is you actually educated me on how to look at the statue of david by saying here's here's a moment just before the altercation and here's why this is interpreted this way and then he explained the rock behind his back and kind of all the other details uh, i'm going to link to every single video that we talk about obviously so that people can experience your videos uh, and, and kind of be part of this discourse. But um, I hadn't thought of the statue no. of David that way. I hadn't thought of him as a as a frame, a frame out of a moment in a larger story. I never really even looked at a, a statue that way before, a sculpture. No. Uh, and, and I think that's the kind of art education that we actually need in school beyond just getting your hands wet with watercolors. I think what you're doing is is an example of what's needed. I think in, in a way it's um, the way they teach art in schools and the way is the same way um, these art galleries are functioning as well. You know, they're not, you're not seeing it within the context. You know, you're not seeing it um, for what it really means. So um, you go to Florence, for example, and you know, you see there's two other copies of David and then there's the real David in the academia. And you go to Florence and literally on the way to, you know, you're going from your hotel to the academia and you're going to see a thousand Davids on the street being sold, you know, little models and all this kind of stuff. And this was my plan originally. I wanted to, my very first videos are taking something incredibly familiar and making you look again. You know, it's like, what does that actually, what does that actually mean? And the only way you'll ever understand David is to understand Florence at that time. It's the only way. David means nothing otherwise. It's it's a you know it's a cool statue. It looks great, but it, you know what does it actually mean? And I think you know um, I get a lot of people on my on my on my site who, who put comments like "Great art doesn't need explaining," and I'm thinking, well, why click on a website called "Great Art Explained" to start with? <laughs> but secondly, it's not about. I'm not trying to make people. Um, tell people how to feel or to, you know, or how to think, but just to look at things as they were. Yeah. Mona Lisa means nothing unless you understand it. It's yeah. a, it's a great painting. It's it's cool. It's um. I'm, I'm mystified by that, and I actually I'm, I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but yeah. that comment just pissed me off because it it doesn't necessarily need to be explained to somebody who's been educated in how to look at it. Yeah, and. To assume that everybody has that eye, everybody can develop that eye. Yeah, but th- that gets straight to the point: is to even say that is is also part of the filter that keeps people out. Well, if you don't get it, then you don't get it. Yeah, yeah. Bullshit. No, no, it bullshit. is total bullshit. But it's um, it's people thinking that you know, if you can't understand something on an aesthetic level, then it doesn't mean anything, and that's rubbish. That's so beyond rubbish. It's like, does, does 
astronomy need explaining. Yeah, it does actually. You know, <laughs> looking in isn't enough, I'm afraid. Um, and and so yeah, there's. Um, I do think education is really important. I, I think that because I was dealing with teachers in America and Canada, North America, for so long, and and I and I would teach these kids about art. We didn't have any art lessons actually, like none. You know, no history of art at all. Um, and I would say, oh, America's really bad, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then I'd realize, actually, my country's pretty bad as well when it comes to art education. You know, we are just throwing them in a box of paints. Yeah. And that isn't enough, you know. It doesn't, it, you know, it, it, we need some critical thinking is not difficult for an 11 or 12-year-old. It really isn't. You know, I was dealing with, I was talking to my 12-year-old niece last week, um, and she had an art project on a really bad artist, like appalling. It wasn't art at all to me. Um, but what can I say to her? But, but the great thing was that she could discuss why she liked something and why not. And I've always said, when I took my nieces and nephews to art galleries in London, to modern art galleries, and I'd say to them, look at that painting, what do you like? It's like, I don't like it. Pick out something. That's all you need, you know, just to start thinking about things differently. Yeah, I uh, I remember one time I went to uh, an opening where there were these abstract paintings that nobody could make heads or tails of, like even some of the other students. It was an art school uh, presentation, but it was like a really advanced art school. Um, and even the peers didn't understand what they were doing. I'm like, nobody else sees it? it these are inspired by the shapes of the sidewalks in Manhattan. Like, yeah. And and then the art the artist actually overheard me and she's like, yeah, actually, that's all I was painting. And and I think that it's just it really is a fault of, of people's initial education that they don't develop the eye to to just kind of yeah. see things, to see the rock behind the back of the statue or yeah. um, and it's not just a, it's not just about aesthetics. I mean, uh, talking about conceptual art or abstract art mm -hmm. even. Um, you know, for me, people say I don't understand it, and that's that's really okay. I don't understand everything I look at. And in fact, the less I understand something, the more I like it. I really do. I just, if I see very difficult art, and I just think, you know, like there was a famous one here where a guy put blue, do you guys say blue tack? The blue sticky stuff you put on the wall to stick things on. Yeah, that's that's yeah, it's tack. Yeah, yeah. He, he just put it on a wall. That was it. You know, that was all he. Did. <laughs> and it was like, well, at least you're angry. At least that's an emotion. You know, you, you're showing something, or you're pissed off, or you're just, you know, you don't like it. That's good. That's really good. That you know, I don't. I think everything. You know, if you if I think that today I was looking at Copernicus again, going back to Copernicus, I just clicked one thing millions of websites come up you know hundreds of thousands of websites come up everyone's got an answer it's like sometimes there isn't an answer and that's why art is so good that's what makes it so powerful you know it's it's you're seeing the truth without having to understand it that's what you're seeing i really believe that some of my favorite artists that i've come to to love started out with anger or mystification a lack of understanding for example my love affair with David Lynch. I saw right. Mulholland Drive when it first came out as a 35 millimeter film yeah. at the local Nickelodeon. And I was so pissed off when I walked out, <laughs> I walked out of there. I didn't understand. I was in a rage. 
but over the years it festered into a love affair with his entire back catalog of work and i think that that's 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 part of it too is if you're mystified by it if you're angry by it explore why yeah exactly and i think that's what i'm trying to do is to give people enough information i think that's why i like the 15 minute format it gives you enough information for you to take things further or just take it as it is you know it's uh I can't tell you everything about the Mona Lisa in 15 minutes. I couldn't tell you in a week, you know, but it's, uh, um, if you don't understand something, that, that's, that's what makes it really great to me. It's, it's, I don't understand why people need an answer for everything. Like with David Lynch, it's, uh, I mean, I have no idea what Mulholland Drive is about. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I could guess at it, you know, I think I could take some guesses at old Hollywood and new Hollywood and all that kind of stuff, but when it boils down to it, is she that other woman? We don't know, you know. It's a, it's another film which we don't necessarily need an answer for. What's Eraserhead about? I have yeah. no idea what Eraserhead is about, but I've seen it 20 times. I love that movie. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I at this point, I think I own the Criterion editions of all, the, all of this catalog that has them. And right. I can tell you, 15 years ago, I wouldn't have. 20 years ago, I definitely wouldn't yeah. have. And yeah, we change. Yeah, we change, we grow, and yeah. we let it, I let it affect me positively over time. Yeah. Um, I, I love the, the three latest videos you put up, um, the trifecta, I call it the trifecta, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, uh, the Garden of Earthly Delights, and yeah. it makes sense for you to do it in three installments. Yeah, kind uh, of. <laughs> I, can't, I, it's, I don't know if you know, but I am... Um... Um, I asked people what their favorite work of art was on, on my YouTube channel. Mm. And that was by far the most votes. By far the most votes. Do you think you would have gotten into it otherwise? Yeah, eventually. Yeah. Yeah. But I knew, I knew it was a difficult painting. I, you know, I, I know the painting, but I don't know it that well. And so it was the longest research I did. It took three weeks. And originally it boiled down it would have been an hour long video rather than 15 minutes and so when I was making the first one um, I always make them quite long I make them about 25 minutes or something and then cut them down to 15 and it works I cut out all the rubbish you know um, but with this one it just didn't work so I did it in three parts and uh, and then someone put a comment on YouTube saying oh it's a triptych I was like Oh yeah, it's like oh yeah, it is. <laughs> it's like, oh, ac accidentally on purpose, I made a triptych of a triptych, you know. So, uh, um, but it was, and even um, even so, I'm I've just released part three, and I'm actually putting all three parts out as one video, um, just for people who want to watch the whole thing rather than break it up and take all the the, the gumph out, as we say. Yeah. Um, and I'm gonna put in some stuff which I left out. So oh, an hour long video. Director's uh, cut. <laughs> yeah, the, the Redux version. <laughs> so that's uh, Star Wars Redux. But it's, um, it was enjoyable, but really um, it was a little bit stressful because I, you know, um, it's not one of the paintings I ever studied, whereas most of the ones I've done are. Um, and that one followed the Caravaggio taking of Christ. 
So I have been looking at Bibles for about six weeks now, which I haven't looked at a Bible since I was about 10. So it's, uh, it was very strange. Um, and, and I'm looking at the Vulgate translation, you know, which is, dates back to the 16th century, 15th century. And it's, uh, well, earlier actually. And, um, and so I am not going to do any religious art for a good six months. <laughs> just keeping away from it though. well it makes sense that it would eventually get there um because i i'm not religious in the least and yeah uh, but i found this utterly fascinating it makes sense that you would have to do it because it's just our history is just everything comes out of religion in some form or another yeah um in the art world especially some of the greatest works are, are religious based and um yeah well some of the best films are religious based as well so yeah. you know it, my um my thesis at art school was on the redemption figure in american cinema so it was about jesus christ figures in american cinema like et like superman and all this kind of stuff so uh it's um it's something that's gonna creep out of there no matter what you do so it's um it's it's um yeah it's it's a dominating factor in Western art. There's no denying it, but I'm heartily sick of looking at a Bible. I really am. So uh, it's um yeah I'm gonna I've got plans for my next ones and then they don't involve that. Yeah, one thing I didn't realize was that um, well before I go into the next piece, yeah, um, you you had mentioned how you got the that you'd requested that people tell you their favorite art yeah. um, and that's one of the things I love about your channel is you actually ask for people to present their theories their ideas um, general comments and be part of the discourse yeah and that's the other thing about the art world that is we're in desperate need of is artists who want more discourse about their work yeah I agree I think um, I think um, having uh, owned a gallery for a while. Artists are incredibly difficult people. You know, they are. I really hate to say this because most of them are my friends, but they're very difficult people to work with. Very demanding, and um, and they don't. They really don't like talking about their work. They don't. You know, it's. Uh, I mean, there are so many big artists who never talk about their work, and it's. Um, I don't get it. It's. Oh, there's a cat in your. Back, sorry. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I have eight cats, and this one is a camera whore. All right. If he knows the camera's on, he's gonna come over my shoulder. <laughs> my dog's asleep, so he's there. We're good. <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, the, the the talking about art is uh, is difficult for artists, um, and we. I mean, I think a lot of my YouTube. Uh, I think I, I told you by email was an accident, you know, it's, it just happened because of lockdown. Otherwise I never would have done it. Yeah. And, um, and I think it is an extension of one, my job where I used to take kids around Europe, you know, and try to explain things succinctly and clearly and entertaining with lots of gossip and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and the other way was, um, and it's what I like. It's what I really like to hear that stuff, you know? And then the other thing was I had a gallery, you know, and our gallery, one, we used to make um, press releases which were clear that people could understand. And secondly, we made artists talk about their work. We had artist talks. 
where pe where people would come and have a conversation with them. And I think that's why this is an extension of that. I'm really interested in, um, I mean, my background is a working class background with no art whatsoever, none, Same. zero. You know, I had like, my dad was a truck driver, um, but I was lucky enough to live in London where all the museums are free, you know? And it rains a lot here. So if you're, if you're chucked out of the house for the day when your mum doesn't want you around, then one place to go is museums and it sinks in, you know? And that's how I learned to love art. And I think um, I'm really passionate about um, how art has, has transformed my life. And I think it can, and it can be transformative. And I don't think it needs to be complicated. The art world, the, the art world understands that now, by the way. If you go into MoMA in New York, the explanations about the art are much clearer than they used to be. They really are. You know, they understand now that people, they want to make connections. They want to, they want to understand how does this art fit in with this, etc. Um, and it was started by the Tate Gallery in London, making their labels clearer, making them simpler. And I think that's a good thing. People like me can go and read these ridiculous books that no one wants to read. You know, it's. Uh, 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 you Yep. Sorry about that. Spike stepped on the okay. the power bar, so I just put him in the bedroom. So Don't worry, I've got friends who want to shut me up the same way. So, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh... how do you want to do this? Is up to you. <laughs> um, luckily, I stagger these, so I have time to edit and all that. Okay, no worries. I'm happy to go over the same questions if you want yeah, to. We're, um... I have the content from the first part. I, where did we leave off when it froze? Um, we were talking about Bosch, and then we were talking about. Um, oh, I was we just... were talking about like the right the write ups and how accessible they are. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I, yeah, I was going to say that um, I recently applied to an uh, an art grant, and I had to. I had to do some kind of write up about my work. And I, one thing I noticed about their requirements is they basically in very polite words were like, we don't want pretentious nonsense. Just tell us why you're creating what you're creating and what it's yeah. about. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think um, going back to when I had the gallery, we would, when we, um, when we had, when I, when I was writing the press release without the artist, um, I would say, this is a painting on a wall, you know, or this is an installation piece. It's made with this. The artist is trying to talk about this just really clearly and simply. Do you, you know, do, there, there is a place for art theory and art criticism, but I think it's for the elite. You know, when I, in the Bosch um, um, videos, um, my theory, I follow other people's theories as well, but one of the theories is that it was really, it wasn't designed for religion. It was designed as a conversation piece, you know, for the court of Henry III to talk about, um, you know, to, to discuss really. And, um, and I think that an ordinary person in the street would not have understood that painting. And that is why it was done. And that is why people have art speak to this day, is to keep ordinary people out of art, you know? It's, 
I'm not sure if it's intentional anymore, but it's certainly there. I mean, art, art galleries are intimidating places for a lot of people. And um, not so much in the UK because they're free, you know. And when something is free, it means that um, someone can just pop into the gallery. You're not paying 20 bucks or 10 bucks or 10 pounds or something and see one painting and leave. You don't have to spend the whole day there to try and get your money's worth. And I think um, that is, um, and it, it is in this country anyway, it's become something where people are not necessarily going for the art, they're going for the cafe now and they're going for the bookshop, you know. It's, uh, it, it's, it's consumerism has taken over what the art means and, um, and that's okay as well. I like a good bookshop. Well, that's, a, that's interesting is the thing about... Um you don't have to go through the entire museum to get your money's worth. That's something that I learned after moving to New York back in 03 is I used to think I had to. Yeah. And now sometimes I'll, I'll go in and I'll probably be in one section for the afternoon. One yeah. wing. Yeah. Um, and I'll just sit there. Whereas when I was younger, I felt like I had to go through every single wing. Uh, I think people... I think people need to realize you don't have to do that. I mean, I do think, though, if you're going to pay 20 bucks or 30 bucks, then you want to get your money's worth. You know, I really do think that. But um, for, for I'm really crazy about art. I love art. I, 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 if I wasn't doing this, I'd be reading books about art anyway. However, an hour in a museum is enough for me. My head stops, my brain stops working. It really just, that's enough. And I think... 15 minutes sometimes is enough information for me. I think, I think I'm making these videos for myself. Really, they're just like, they're for someone with a very short attention span who uh, I, I, think, I think I used to take American, North American kids to Europe and you'd leave them in the Louvre for three hours. You know, an hour after they went in, they're all sitting around on the floor. You know? They got no interest in it. Of course they haven't, how can they? You're in, a, you're in an enclosed space, no windows, horrible artificial lighting, and walking miles and miles. It's exhausting. Art is really exhausting, you know? And I think we have to realize that um, sometimes I go to the Tate Gallery in London, I, I go for half an hour and see one painting. That's enough. We need, we need to give stuff time, you know? Yeah, I agree. And I've had those, those days where I just, go to the Met and I'd be exhausted within a couple hours and yeah. be pissy and hungry. And yeah. even as an adult, I'd start acting like a kid. <laughs> Me too. I think everyone does. I think, I think people are lying when they say they spend the whole day at the gallery. They're just liars. You know, that's my, that's my, my thoughts on it. Um, you know, I spent the whole day in a gallery. You're a liar. <laughs> it's, uh, it's not true. Yeah. I, um, I think the reason the gallery, the Thursday night gallery hops work is because there's always free liquor. And exactly. if there wasn't, it'd make it much more difficult. Exactly. Alcohol helps everything. <laughs> so it's, uh, <laughs> and art is, you know, they should have bars in galleries anyway, giving out free booze so you understand it. They should, Mona Lee should have a bar in front of her. That's, that's, that's how it should. I agree 100%. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I do think everything is, um, 
you know, it is, it, it's not just these videos that I do feel like it is my mission in life anyway, to try and make things a lot clearer and a, and a lot easier to understand um, for people who, who want it to be like that. Not everyone wants it to be like that. You know, people do want complicated theory and that's cool. It's, I do sometimes. Um, yeah. I mean, there's a, definitely a space for it, but I don't think that should come at the, at the proliferation of class uh, dividing people. I feel like there's almost, I'm thinking about class and I'm thinking about yeah. right now, um, you, you, when you talked about how it was meant just so the king could have a dialogue in his court or something like that, uh, and how art speak sort of carries over from that. And I honestly think there are some artists out there, especially on the younger end of the spectrum, who want to move up. They want to be wealthy from their work. And they're more than willing to cut out the everyman. Yeah, I'm going to, to have to disagree with you there, though, because I think artists should want to be wealthy from their work. I think it's a good thing. Right, right. But I'm talking about making their work inaccessible yeah, to, I understand. to that end. Yeah, I understand. Of course, artists should be super yeah. successful. Um, yeah, I, I think I, um, I've, you know, okay, let's, some of the artists I've met whose work is incredibly complex is because they are incredibly complex people, you know? Mm. Sometimes that art speak is how they actually speak. They're not trying to be pretentious. They actually are like that. I have a really close friend who I spend my whole time saying, what, 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 what? I just have no idea what he's talking about. He's an artist and he's an art theorist, you know, but it's incredibly complicated. And some people are like that, but I, I agree with you. I think sometimes people purposefully make things complicated when they don't need to. But, you know, a lot of contemporary art in America um, and in the well, in America more so, I think, a lot of contemporary art, is involving people from the working classes a lot more and it, it, it is pulling people in you know and um and it and complicated work this is what my videos are about complicated work can be explained in a simple clear way to people most people haven't had training to understand this work so why should they understand it it's not a snobby thing it's just it's just a fact in the same way, you could talk to me about mathematics, or I think you guys say math, right? You could talk to me about that, and I would never understand in a million years what you're talking about. I have no idea. I can't add up. You know, I just, I don't have that brain. Or you could talk to me about American football. American football is really complicated, and I know because someone tried to explain it to me once, right, when I was in America. Um and it's my brain just doesn't work that way. And some people's brains don't work to accept art that way. And that, that's okay. Not everyone has to like everything. Well, that's the thing is I'm not, I'm not into sports or in, I'm not good at math either. And no. basically, like when it came to math, I had to go back to college in my 30s to kind of fix some stuff I didn't understand. Yeah. Um, I mean, when I was 30, I couldn't even calculate tip. So I, had to, I went back to school late to kind of undo a lot of the damage of my initial education yeah. and 
the best way sort of math operations were explained to me just came from practical. You're just moving, you're moving numbers from one side to another in some form. And yeah. I understood it that way for the first time. And, and then suddenly all these operations became accessible. And with sports, I could give a shit. <laughs> like, uh, especially yeah. football, which is such a, in, in this country, uh, it really appeals to a type of person I don't get along with. So, right. Well, um, I think the way you understood maths is the same way that art can be understood, you know? It, funny enough, art is a very, it is a very simple, um, exp art can be explained quite simply, you know? It is a reflection of the life at the time. It's as simple as that. It's a reflection of history at the time. It's not, um, you know, there's a reason that pop art happened. There's a reason that minimalism happened. There's a reason that the Renaissance happened. You know, there's all reasons for it. And sometimes it's really practical. You know, like with Bosch, they discovered the earth wasn't flat, you know, so it changed the way people started painting the earth and they, it changed the way God was, was depicted. And so sometimes this is, when I'm saying great art explained, I'm not trying to say this is the answer. I'm trying to say that being informed about what was happening at the time makes you come up with your own solutions, you know? What was the mural that um, you had, you had done a video about a mural that uh, got me thinking about the Bush administration all over again. And I thought that that was long. <laughs> and I started getting pissed off all over again. Where right. I guess it was at the UN and they asked for it to be covered up. Oh, that's Guernica. Yeah, Guernica. So um, going back to critics of explaining art, you know, Guernica is Picasso's, one of Picasso's two or three masterpieces, the, high, the ones that everyone wants to talk about. And uh, Guernica, to me, is one of the most powerful works of art of all time. Um, it's really the, you know, an anti-war statement is what it is. It's about, um, and I think I get people on my videos commenting, I didn't know it was about the Spanish Civil War, okay? Which is fair enough. Why should they? Why should they know what this, some people don't even know the painting. Why should they? That's what I'm here for, to say this is the painting I love and this is why I love it. And it's about the Spanish Civil War. So it was, um, uh, is, do you say his name? Colin Powell, right? Colin Powell. Colin Powell, yeah. Hot Colin Powell, okay. So he, <laughs> um, so the UN had a, a replica of the Guernica. And for those of you who don't know the painting, it's a, it's a painting about the Spanish Civil War, about the world's the first carpet bombing by the Nazis of a small little village called Guernica in Spain. And it was um, done with the help of Hitler. And it was um, unannounced, uh, they were civilians, and it was really the first time they were making a statement, the, the fascists were making a statement, and it's gonna kick off one of the biggest civil wars in which great Americans like Hemingway were involved. You know, it's a, it's a brilliant history, but if you don't know, I, I don't want people to, Watch, watch a 15-minute video and come away saying, I know everything about the Spanish Civil War. But I do want them to come away and say, now I understand the Spanish Civil War is why it was created. That's all I want. I don't really want them. They don't have to understand the nuances. It's too complicated anyway. Um, and then they had a replica at the UN. And when Colin Powell was announcing... The war in Afghanistan, was it? That, no, so, yeah, yeah. Either that or Iraq. I, no, Iraq, sorry, you're right, Iraq. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, anyway, whatever, he was going there to announce going to war with a foreign body, and he was going to do it in front of this painting. And this painting, which was, uh, you know, done in the 1930s, you know, done seven, 60 years before Colin Powell was standing in front of it, was considered too powerful, too much of an anti-war statement for him to make a declaration of war in front of. And so they censored it. They covered it with a big blue um, uh, curtain so he could make his announcement. And to me, that says everything, that art can be powerful enough 50, 60, 100 years later to make a statement that people are afraid of. Um, well, well, that's what what strikes me. There's a couple of things about that fact, though, that that I've been thinking about ever since that video came out. Is one, you know, the Bush administration, Bush Junior administration, uh, they're often de- talked about in the media as not being very bright, not really being cultured. There's a sort of redneck sort of yeah. language that's used. But the fact that they were educated enough to know what that painting was and don't demand think, that it be covered up. I don't think I don't think they had a clue. I think somebody well, there must have. Yeah, one of their advisors probably and did. Then, then also what what really gets to me though, and, and it kind of disenchants me, is that the UN obliged. I don't think they should have. Yeah, well, you know, this is this is where history steps in a little bit because Colin Powell did not say, I don't want that picture behind me when I make that announcement because it's an anti-war statement. Colin Powell said, it won't look good on TV because it's very busy. (laughs) So so the UN, who knew exactly why they were covering it up, had an excuse at least to cover it up. You know, know, it's... uh, Colin Powell blamed TV companies for covering up that image, you know, so, which is actually quite funny. <laughs> so, but can you imagine Picasso, you know, what well, he must, he must be over the moon that his work can mean something so much, you know, that it needs to be censored. I suppose it's a compliment. <laughs> yeah, art has always been censored, you know, and, yeah. uh, and, and I'd say that artists and writers or people in the arts are some of the best people for getting around censorship. You know, Mike, Michelangelo, Michelangelo, Leonardo, all of those people, they always manage to use art as an excuse to say bad things. Yeah. I was surprised by um, some of the imagery in the Garden of Earthly Delights. Like when you push in on some of the details, mm. it's pretty pornographic. Yeah, it is. And pornography is really interesting in art or, or nudity is super interesting in art because it's like, why is art? I used to get kids on my, you know, when I t- took them around galleries saying, everyone's naked. It's like, yeah, they are actually. But it's, it's the one thing that unites us. You know, if you think that you go to, you know, your Thursday nights uh, um, in, in galleries in New York, and you're, you're looking at someone who's wearing Gucci or Fiorucci or whatever they're wearing, you know, that's, that separates them from someone like me who's in a T-shirt and jeans, you know. And, and nudity, being naked is what separates us, is how we were born. Um, and it's a universal truth. It's what we are. And that's, that's what they're trying to say. But the most, the most 
interesting thing about nudity is that it's very difficult to draw someone naked. It's very easy to draw someone in clothes. You know, so it's a bit of show-offing. It's a bit of artists showing off as well. Um, and the nudity in, in, God, in the Garden of Earthly Delights is really because it's the Garden of Eden where we were naked. Well, not us, but Adam and Eve. And it's a representation of that. Um, it's, it's hinted at nudity. It's hinted at um, sex. Um, there's only, as I show in the film, there's only one incident where someone is actually, you know, doing it. Um, but <laughs> it's, uh, it's hinted at. But nude, what's really interesting is, first of all, in the David video, I explained that he had, a, he had a row of fig leaves covering him up when he was first launched. They were too embarrassed, you know. It, it's a complete myth that people during the Renaissance were okay with nudity. They weren't. They were, they were shocked by nudity. Um, and don't forget that a lot of these statues that you see and a lot of, um, a lot of nude paintings, Goya in particular, they were kept in separate rooms for the men. You know, these were naked women in rooms for men and their buddies to go in and have a look at, you know. <laughs> and they were, I was, re- I, last year, this same time last year, I was in New Mexico. And I went to, uh, uh, to see some paintings by D.H. Lawrence, um, pornographic paintings by D.H. Lawrence, believe it or not. They were awful, by the way. And I went into the, I paid like two bucks or something for the, a woman to press a to pull a curtain and open up these pornographic paintings. And it it made me think that's exactly what it would have been like in the 1500s. Nudity wasn't an accepted part of life. It may be more so in ancient Greece. Um, But Michelangelo had a very good excuse to make David naked, to, 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 to depict him naked because the Renaissance was all about the rediscovery of, of ancient Greek art, you know, when nudity was in those. And he was saying, look, they did it, so I have to do it. You know, but sometimes when it boils down to it, it's a simple thing of it's really hard to do a naked person and I'm showing off, you know. And, and if ever you've been to Florence and you go to Piazza della Signoria, you see the copy of David, and next to it is the worst nude statue you've ever seen in your life. It looks like, as Michelangelo, Michelangelo called it, a sack of potatoes, you know. And, um, yeah, but it's the, the nudity. I think the nudity in the Garden of Earth like, shocked me a little bit. I was, like, thinking, oh, this is a bit racy. But there are theories about it. You know, there are, a lot of people don't believe my theory. A lot of people think that it was meant to be titillation, you know. And I think it was as well. I think you you nailed it on the head in the narrative where you said this is this work is a piece of entertainment or something like that. Yeah. It's entertaining conversation piece. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that was really what what it was for. Yeah. And I think the nude, the nudity is on the one hand, it's oh, it's biblical and all that kind of stuff. But on the other hand, it's a bit of titillation. You know, it's in the same way that altarpieces are normally for religious institutions. Um, I'm saying that the Garden of Earthly Delights was actually a private commission. But we never have to forget that sometimes it can be two things, you know, it doesn't have to be one thing. It can be a religious um, object as well as something for 
you know, titillation. I'm, I, I think that those, those monks in the 1500s, they used to get off on looking at naked people in, in paintings. I really do. I think, I think it, 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 let's, let's not make, pretend that it didn't happen because I'm sure it did. If it happened, if it can happen now, it happened then. Yeah. Um, but it, yeah, it's, it's sometimes nudity is early pornography. I mean, we know that. We know that a um, couple of Goya's paintings were in private hands in private rooms, you know? So it was like, it's uh, in the same way that the video, the video um, camera was invented for pornography or, or it drove it, you know, it drove things. Uh, right. That the internet was driven by pornography, so was art, really. So art was driven by sex. Sex drives everything. Yeah, some of the earliest motion picture content is porn. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and some of the early silent movies are, you know, if you, you know, um, what's his name, Griffiths. So much nudity in his in his in his, in his films. There's so much. It's the shocking, actually. <laughs> I, I, doing my research, I was looking at silent movies of um, Adam and Eve. There's a lot of them. There's a lot of them out there. You know what they're for, you know? Yeah. There's a couple, couple of topics that you brought to mind that I thought about over the years. One of them was um, this idea of the artist creating a production process to duplicate their work. Um, yeah. I forget the artist names. I'm sorry. Uh, but there was a, a sculptor. Yeah, Jeff yeah, Koo. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it got me thinking about the film medium and whether or not, you know, is the art the raw negative they shoot? Is it the first print? Are DVD duplicates not the art? Yeah. Um, and I find that interesting because that's a sort of philosophical debate that, or yeah, a thought, thought experiment that can probably go on for a long time. Yeah. I, I think with... Um... With my with my videos, I try and pull out an element that will pull people in that they don't necessarily know about. You know, with Monet, it was the fact that it was a World War. It was a mon, it was a monument to World War One. His water lilies, um, and with Rodin, people just don't think about them as copies, um, as they're not originals. I mean, Rodin didn't touch his work hardly ever. He made little models with his hands. After that, he gave it to assistants. And the art world is has more criticism for that process in the 21st century than anything else. These artists who, who just come up with an idea and that really, um, you know, do you think uh, these Renaissance artists didn't have assistants? We know they did. You know, we know Rodin didn't make most of his work. It's, he got someone else to do it. It's not the point. I think that one of the most, uh, what's the word? That's pretentious to say that. Well, it is kind of important to say that it, in, that, in the Rodin video, I say it's not what's in your hands, it's what's in your head. You know, that's what makes a great artist. There are, there are, there are gazillions of artists out there who are good at what they do, but that doesn't mean they're great artists. You know, and it is a philosophical debate. It's like, what is original? You know, is is the new Justice League movie original? 
is is it original i don't know is it (laughs) that's that gets me thinking about like this idea that if him simply creating the template for his assistants to work off of doesn't count then that means our tour theory can be thrown out the window because certainly directors count on cinematographers and editors and all that but there's still artists that are sort of leading the creative process um yeah then i i think that's why that that conversation is important to keep ha- having is because we live in a world where production capability more and more requires other people yeah totally i think um i think my main point would be that um is that it really is um, your people talk about conceptual art as being complicated, but I think all art is conceptual. You know, I, th- I think that we're all coming up with an idea and it's how you produce that idea, whether you do it with your hands, whether someone else does it with their hands, or, um, you know, there are lots of artists who make videos, lots of artists who make films. You know, Matthew Barney, amazing, amazing. Uh, his films are incredible. Um, but he doesn't make them on his own. You know, it's, it's artists don't work in some little cabin and never see the light of day. You know, they're working with lots of other people. Um, occasionally you'll get someone like Michelangelo who was so grumpy and so smelly and so dirty that no one wanted to be around him, you know? So it's, uh, but yeah, he, he didn't want to share with anyone. I mean, but he didn't do the Sistine Chapel on his own. Yeah, it's interesting. That's amazing. Yeah. I, uh, do you want to talk about Warhol for a bit? Yeah, I, I can. I can I talk. I didn't know he was religious. See, Most people In New York, he's got a reputation for using people and kind of being a jerk. He, he was. <laughs> that doesn't mean anything. Just, I know, but I never attributed pra- uh, uh, yeah. practicing religion to him at all. Yeah, but don't forget he could confess he could confess his sins. So it didn't matter what he did. Oh, that's true. Uh, no, it's it's pretty pretty. I knew he was when he died. I found out he was religious. I didn't know. Um, most people don't know. The vast majority of people don't know about his religion. But what I didn't know um, was how religious he was, and it was very religious. Uh, he pretty much went to church most days, and I think. For me, making that video was a little bit of a revelation. I didn't realize how influenced he was by it. And it wasn't until I started thinking about it that I realized, you know, I didn't realize that that endless copying of something very much relates into religion. Um, the idolization of, of Marilyn is, you know, the idolization of the, of the Virgin Mary. It's, it all ties in quite neatly. Um, Warhol is interesting because I get a lot of negative criticism about him on my YouTube channel because anyone can do that. A five-year-old can do that, blah, 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 blah. Um, But, you know, he doesn't come from nowhere. He comes from America, you know. He comes from a place that was crazy with capitalism. You know, people were consuming like nuts, you know. it's uh, You've got uh, wars around the corner. You know, people are... uh, There's... Most most art movements came out of a lot of anger and a lot of a uh, lot of issues, you know. And I think pop art was that as well. It was it was a reaction to 
what was happening in America, what was happening all around the world. And um, pop art actually wasn't invented in America. It was invented in the UK. Um, um, but the Americans did it so much better, so much better. And it was a bit like... Um, it was a bit like punk music in a way, you know, when punk was invented in the UK and it was very nihilistic, whereas when it went to America, it became actually quite intellectual. You know, these artists were producing this music in an intellectual sense. Um, and pop art was the same as well. They took it and they ran with it. And um, Andy Warhol, for sure, was not a nice person. I can't see how. No, I don't think he was. I think I think he was probably on the scale, on the spectrum. Um, because he doesn't seem to have much emotions. Um, I've read his diaries, I've read biographies, and he doesn't ever come across as a kind, sweet, nice man. You know, I think um, in the video I talk about um, he worked in soup kitchens and worked for charities in New York. Um, I think he did that because everyone in the church did that. It was part of what you did. Mm. Um, and while his mother was still alive, Julia, who was very religious, he... Um, he pretty much um, calmed down his lifestyle. I mean, I think out of all the artists I've ever read about, Warhol was the weirdest. I, I hate using that word, but he was. He was just a strange dude, you know? He was, uh, he was uh, out of his time almost. And uh, yeah, it's strange. But um, I, I, I'd say, Warhol's Marilyn, which the one that I do the talk about is actually in, in London. It's, uh, he did lots of Marilyn's, by the way. But the first one he did, the main one, is actually owned by the Tate Gallery in London. Hmm. And I'd say that is probably one of the first two or three artworks that hit me, that made me think, oh, this is art. As a kid. I saw his soup cans at MoMA once. Right. Weirdly, not that far away from um, Starry Night. Oh, okay, interesting. Physically, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah, it's a it's a metaphorical leap, but uh, <laughs> just up the road in the MoMA. It's uh, but I I um, I mean I think Warhol was a bit of a Renaissance artist himself. You know, he was a filmmaker. He was involved in um, uh, music with um, what's his name? Um, oh, he died recently. Uh, he uh, the banana al album there, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I interviewed I interviewed him for a movie once, a uh, film oh. once, uh, oh. but I forget his name. <laughs> I'm yeah. not a fan. Um, yeah, but he was um, you know, he was uh, he was he was what was interesting because he, to me, he was really American, which is you know. As a kid in this country, you know, I went to America for the first time in 1982 to New York, and it was rough. It was really, really rough. But it didn't compare to London. London was filthy, dirty, miserable, grey. And so for me growing up in London, something like Andy Warhol and what was going on in New York was just amazing. You know, I, I was a real American, I know what's the word, fan of America when I was a kid. And Warhol was part of that in a way. Um, I'd say it's way down there in my list of what's my favorite works, yeah. but I think it is definitely important. But, yeah, I think the importance for me at least comes out of it being a response to what was going on 
Yeah. And uh, sort of a, 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 I wouldn't say progress. I'll use it in terms of just a moving, a moving on sort of word, but a progression of capital of sort of a capitalist culture that was taking place. It was a reaction to it. The consumerism in the 50s and 60s is blew up. Yeah. So it was bound to affect the art world. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to get, you're not going to get Michelangelo without the intercity wars in, in Italy. You know, you're not going to, it's, it's a, it's um, Orson Welles in, uh, he has a great cuckoo clock speech um, in The Third Man. And he says, he talks about all these great artists and they all came out of this anger and, you know, they were angry with the world. You know, you're not going to get Michelangelo, Michelangelo without all those intercity wars that were going on. Plus he was gay, plus he was a strict Catholic, you know, it's, he was tortured. He was a tortured man. Leonardo was a tortured man. That's why they produced great art. This is a, a long way of saying that I don't know the actual quote from Orson Welles. But then, um, you know, the Impressionists, they came out of the, you know, the um, Franco-Prussian War. They came out of seeing their friends killed. You know, there's a lot of anger building up. Cubism, that came out of the Spanish Civil War. You know, these things all have a reason for happening. And sorry, the First World War. And um, and 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 uh, minimalism's the same. So is um, pop art. You know, pop art has. There's a reason pop art exists, and it's it's what it's part of history. It's as much about history. Warhol is as much about American history as going to the moon was. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, prior to this channel, you started this channel during the pandemic. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I started, I think, nine or ten months ago, I think. Yeah, same uh, with this podcast. We're kind of the same age. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, um, I, I, as I work in tourism as well, there's no work for me, of course. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty much fine for, um, I don't need to work really at the moment for a while anyway. Um, I'm spending all my savings, which is okay. Um, and I'm in the middle of the countryside, so there's not much to do. Um, and I just wanted to give myself something to wake up for and something to do every morning. Um, and I've always loved research, but when you don't have a purpose, it's kind of hard to do. And so that's why I started it. And the first three or four videos are really extensions of what I do for a living, you know, talking to in educational travel talking about um art and it was um now it's got to the point where i've got a hundred thousand subscribers it's, it's blowing my mind actually i'm really shocked um but it means um that i'm actually probably doing this six or seven days a week about eight or nine hours a day so it's become like a job almost but something i love doing yeah i find that the story a lot is um it's they start the these channels will be started as like a pastime and then as soon as it tops a hundred thousand it starts feeling like a bit like a job yeah um, but hopefully it'll 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 grow and you'll find yourself having fun continuing to have fun with it um yeah i hope so it's um it is fun it's um 
I mean, the thing is, I've thought about it a lot. You know, I thought um, maybe I could get someone else to do them, or maybe I could get this, maybe I could do that. But I don't know. I think at the moment, I just want to keep it exactly as it is. It's um, they're not they're not the best technical videos ever made, but they're how I want them to be. You know, and I I I, I kind of I want to spend three or four weeks making each one. I want them to be. Had you had experience making videos prior to this? Yeah, I made some small videos, um, which I used to show to my groups, which were, you know, um, uh, the history of France in five minutes, the history of Paris in five minutes. I used to make these videos, which I'd show them, and um, simple little things. Because you say you're not, you're not that you. Well, you said something about how you're not technically adept at it, or something like that. I don't remember well, the exact wording, but you you make a lot of decisions that are very professional. Like, for example, there was one moment, um, I don't remember which video it was, but you had, you were talking about taverns where, I guess it was probably um, the one of the last three, but you were talking about taverns that were important in some, in the era. Yeah. And you actually included ambient sound design of people at a tavern. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's kind of, yeah. I, okay, I think that the truth is I'm a very frustrated filmmaker. I just, if there's one art form I love more than any other, it's cinema. You know, I, I really should be making films about films, but there's too much copyright issues involved there. Um, but I, if you look at my Mona Lisa video, which I made 10 months ago, and then my Bosch, you see a massive leap. It's a huge leap. You know, I didn't know that I could import stuff from other apps and all that kind of stuff. You know, I didn't know I could do it, make, not animation. Um, I spend a lot of time doing green screen um, in the same way that Walt Disney did in the 1920s, you know, by hand, drawing green lines around people. And, <laughs> and, it, and it takes a long, long time. But at the moment... I'm just going to stick to what I'm doing. I think I want to release one video a month and keep it at one video a month. Um, and, and yeah, I've improved a lot, like sound-wise, all that. I mean, I didn't even have a microphone. Okay, this is the truth. I didn't have a microphone. I was talking into my, my, my laptop, putting my mouth next to the microphone laptop. So you can hear that in the first ones. You can hear, like, the echo and all that kind of stuff. Then I bought a professional microphone for like 50 bucks or 60 bucks or whatever it was. And then I didn't realize I had to change the settings on my computer. And so really I'm talking into a microphone, but it's the computer recording my sound still. So it's still the same. And then, and then people kept commenting saying, can't you do this? Can't you do that? And then I watched YouTube videos about how to make YouTube videos, you know? So it's really, this is like, this is complicated theory here we're talking about. I'm watching videos about how to do it, blah, blah, blah. And then, um, and then finally I got a proper video, a proper um, microphone. And two videos ago, I got a, oh man, I can't remember the name, a thing that stops your peas happening, what they called the... Oh, uh, on there. what, something like that? Yeah, what's it called? It's called uh, I just call it a windscreen. Yeah, it's that, it's... Probably something different. Yeah, so it, it has got a real name. <laughs> but, it's, uh, but yeah, so someone recommended that. And so I think I'm just getting it right now. I would love to go back and make all those videos again, but I would have a nervous breakdown. 
You probably would only need to, if you have the raw video file, you only need to redo the uh, the voiceover narrative and just re-export it. No, I'm just, I don't work like that. I know, I know what I'm like. And, you know, I, I spend a lot of time regretting making <laughs> video decisions. So it's, uh, but I would say film is probably, I'm probably more into film than anything. So I understood how an edit works. I understood how sound editing works, but I didn't know how to put it into practice. And that's what I'm learning now, I think. I'd love to see you figure out how to get more into doing cinema because cinema theory is one of my favorite topics as well. And uh, you're so good at art. I bet you could figure out how to get David Lynch finally understood. No, I think David Lynch is a bit like, he's the Hieronymus Bosch of the movie industry. You know, it's like, if you're gonna, if you're gonna, um, if you're gonna try to explain it, you have to make stabs in the dark, you know, and that's pretty much, I, I don't know if you noticed, but, in my Hieronymus Bosch videos, at least three times I say, this is my opinion because I'm sick to death of people saying it's just your opinion. It's like, yes, I keep telling you that, you know, it's uh, so, uh, yeah. And I think, uh, I mean, I, I actually, yeah, some David Lynch movies just, I mean, imagine trying to explain some of those movies. It's, I have a theory about Mulholland Drive, if you want to hear it. Oh, really? Go on. Yeah. So, um, and it's purely out of my own experience of moving from a small rural town to a huge city to quote unquote make a career for myself and one of the hardest to have careers on planet earth film uh and obviously that's there's a huge component of what that movie is about but yeah i think it's honestly about the fear and disenchantment that comes with failure at that i mean so many Americans are terrified of failure that most aren't willing to go to LA or New York to try yeah. it. Yeah. And when, what happens when you go there and you fail? What happens if you're not the it girl or yeah. something like that? And I think that the second half of that film reveals that that's what it is. So like the first half is the dream, the sec of, of the, the dream that gets you there. Yeah. That gets you to LA. The second half is the reality and not being able to cope with that reality in a healthy way. Wow, that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that's... I think I'll have to watch it again now. I actually have it on DVD, so I might watch it again. Definitely. It's a highly personal interpretation just based on the fact that I did a similar move to a big city where I had right. no connections. Uh, I understand the fear of failure in that respect, and that's kind of yeah. how I interpret it. It's interesting. Yeah. Suzanne Miller, then, in that case, <laughs> she's like she's your conscious speaking character. Um, yeah, so I love um, I love films anyway. I love them. I hope you figure out how to get to, to doing them um, soon. <laughs> yeah, it will happen. But yeah, I've got um, yeah, I pretty much got my next four or five movies set up. I think I'm trying to, you know. I think it's how my brain works. I think right from the beginning, I wanted to have a body of work rather than just lots of different films. You know, I think watching them, you realize there's a pattern to them. You know, there's a, there's a way they work. Um, I, I diverge from that pattern, but there's a basic skeleton in the same way there is scripts. I write scripts, you know? Yeah. I mean, I mean I, for this, I write a script. 
Um, that takes me a week just to write that script to get it right um, and to make it sound like I'm talking rather than writing. Um, but it's, um, yeah, there's a, there's a basic skeleton to those scripts, but then I can diverge from them. But then I think that some of the choices I've made are not necessarily works I would have chosen, but I want to have some kind of inclusion in there as well. You know, I think that I wanted to show uh, certain female artists. I wanted to show um, people of color. And, uh, and my next one is going to be non-Western art, for example. I just wanted to have, so that you can, you can watch them from beginning to end. And it's like watching one big film, really. Um, and I, I think you can explain, you could talk about any work of art, really. Um, but it's what you say, you know, it's, I mean, I think that you mentioned Starry Night earlier on. That was the, that was the second most popular video voted for, you know, after Garden of Earthly Delights. And the one thing I was going to avoid was Van Gogh. <laughs> um, because, just because there's so much written about them, about him, you know. Um, but I kind of feel like if, if that's what people want, why not? I love the painting. Why not go into it? But I haven't started doing the full research on it yet. But until I do, I'm not going to make a decision because if I don't find something new to say, then then there's no point. Well, you don't necessarily have to have something new to say. Just say it in a way that is more accessible than how everybody else is saying it. Yeah. You're really good at but don't you think Van Gogh has been explained clearly enough already? I mean, there's, it's a bit like Frida Kahlo, you know, you're coming with so much baggage when you're coming to watch a video about it. Um, and I don't know yet. I haven't made that decision. I kind of, there, there's lots of work. There's lots of videos I'd like to make, but I'm not well, sure if I'm going to make It would be a glaring omission not to have them at some point. So I'm wondering if there's a more obscure. Yeah, there is. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, not he's necessarily starry night. Something else. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I'm not. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'll, <laughs> Whatever. I'll just later on. Yeah, I've got, Whatever um, you do is going to be awesome. Oh, thanks, mate. Thank you very much. So yeah, but there are there are there are. I'd like to make a film on the on the minimalists. Um, I love Donald Judd. He's probably one of my favorite artists of all time. I love American minimalists. Um, but I don't think anyone would watch it. That's the only problem, you know. It's it's uh, the Rothko gets enough criticism already. I I can't deal with any more. Oh, that's the Seagram murals. Yeah, that gets yeah, a lot yeah. of criticism. Yeah, it's like yeah, my child could do that. Um, I disagree, though. I wouldn't have thought to prime a canvas with something other than white. Like that's outside the box thinking for me. <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah. No, no it's um. You know, I think when people say to me, oh, my child, my five-year-old child can paint that, I'm like, well, give them a paintbrush. That's worth a lot of money, you know? You'll make a lot of money with that kid, you know? Yeah. But they've, they've done experiments where they've, they've put abstract work in a, in a gallery next to work by a child, and people always go to the abstract work, you know? It, and it, it's... I used to, like, kids on my... When I had these kids on my tours i say to them oh um they say oh how do you understand what to look at you know when you go to the Louvre, you go in a room there's 50 pictures in there it's like you don't have to understand what to look at i could send you guys into a room 
and the vast majority of you would go towards the masterpieces. There's a reason we look at Mona Lisa. There's a reason we all go to that painting. There are lots of reasons, but that's one of them, you know? And I don't think you necessarily have to understand everything about it, but um, if it sparks of an interest, then why not understand more about it? What are we here for if we don't want to understand this? What's the point of living if we're just going to look at pretty pictures on a wall? You know, there's artists like Jack Vitriano, who's just, he's a great artist, but it's just, a, just not, it's just boring. Mm. You know, it's, uh... That's a great thesis for the episode, actually, is what's the point of looking at pretty pictures? <laughs> uh... well, it is. It's, I mean, decoration is great. Decoration's got its place. But it's, uh, it doesn't, you know, it's, it's the taking a whore to water thing, you know, it's, it, it doesn't make her think, you know, it's, uh, it, it reminds of... me, uh, I've been on a kick of watching interviews with a cinematographer named Roger Deakins. Do you know his name? Oh, yeah, I know. yeah, of course I do. Yeah. yeah he was basically uh, like, if all you want is, a, is pretty shots, I can't give that to you. And yeah. I, I love that philosophy. Yeah, me too. He worked with David Lean, right? Yeah, probably. I think he's worked with like every big director at this point. But it is true. It's like it's like you know, with there's a lot of pretty stuff around us, but you know, it's not always what it's about. No, and I think that is a little bit what um, lockdown about this pandemic has kind of taught us is 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 that we can just take time to maybe think about things a little more. Maybe we don't have to have constant images, constant information, constant opinions you know we don't have donald trump anymore so we don't have to have everything 140 characters you know we can actually sit back and relax and think about stuff and if you if if i hear if if people want to criticize rothko then then just go and stand in front of it for a bit before you give me any criticism that's all i want just give yeah. me and because you know for from a technical standpoint video can never do justice to actually standing in front of a painting you can't duplicate the colors exactly. It's no. mere imitation, and it's not even good imitation yeah. by nature of the inferior technology. So I would say that too. Like, go, everybody listening, go see all these paintings that James is talking about in his videos. Uh, it'll change your life. You're doing justice to the art world and to the public. Excellent. So, this is one of my, right. I'm looking forward to seeing how this does. Yeah, definitely. I can't wait to hear it. So, uh, yeah, I'm interested. So I think that's one of, uh, I think that's my next plan in the future is to, is to do a podcast with, um, with my very pretentious wordy friend. I think you could, you could, you could be uh, very successful at a podcast. Um, yeah. and if you ever want advice on how to get that started, I'd be happy to Excellent. talk to you about it. And then, uh, if either one of us finds a, ourselves on either side of the pond let's yeah. do another episode absolutely i'm i'm in america once a year at least great so, i love that country man it's, i'm so glad donald trump has gone he's a fucking arsehole i agree 100 percent. i hope he goes <laughs> to fucking jail so do I. <laughs> my, my state of new york is currently trying their best to build a case against them so <laughs> yeah i just like that's like i had a, I, that is a Twilight Zone episode. The last four or five years are just like you know, one of those things where you wake up and say, "Was that real?" <laughs> and then occasionally someone will 
report what he's saying. It's like, shut up, leave me alone. <laughs> yeah, his press releases have been super fucking weird. But I'm trying not to let him seep into my newsfeed anymore. Yeah, yeah, let's not talk about him. Okay. All right. Thank you, um, thank you very much. I appreciate it. And, um, thank you. Same. Great talking to you. You've got a good, calming voice, and it kind of makes me want to talk, which is good. Oh, thank you. I'm not, I, I don't really hear much feedback, but yeah, I just. I want people to talk to me about what they're doing and why they're passionate about it. And that's basically it. Most of the podcasts I listen to are American. So uh, <laughs> when you listen to, I don't know if you, a good one for you to listen to is In Our Time, which is a BBC one. Uh, uh, it's a history one. And it's, uh, it's just intellectuals talking about it. And after a while, you're like, shut up, you pompous British idiots. <laughs> but it's... Uh, but it, it's um, complex history, but I think it's understandable. And and the reason I like it is because British people are very opinionated. And so, you know, they're not afraid to say what they're thinking. And you get that on that program all the time. They disagree with each other. It's good. Yeah, I see that more as just the inner, like the idea of pompous or it's just an interface. What's What's really behind what they're talking about? Yeah, really. yeah. I, I, I used I used to get Americans on my on my tours that say to me, "God, you could get away with anything with that voice. You just tell us, <laughs> you tell us to shut up, or we listen to you. It's amazing." It's well, that's, like... that's why we we uh, we always cast British people as the Empire, right? Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're always the villains in your goddamn movies. Thank you for listening to my podcast. If you have a moment, please consider subscribing to the show wherever you listen. And if the app allows for it, please leave a rating and review. That way, the algorithm moves us up in recommendations. It's a great way for new listeners to find our show. Thanks, and I'll see you on the next episode.